This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Take the Word of God, if you would, please, and turn with me to Psalm chapter 29, the 29th Psalm. We'll read all 11 verses of this Psalm, and as with all of Scripture, there are so many things that we need to unpack, and I'm just praying that the Lord will help us in these next few moments to get uh, what He desires for us to have as we look through this Psalm. Verse number 1, the Word of God says, Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve and discovereth the forest. And in his temple doth every one speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood. Yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I'd take your attention to verse number 2 in the opening phrase. Mark it if you would. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. And then as soon as David, who is the writer of this psalm, gives us this directive that we are to give unto the Lord glory... He sets before us a scene. It is an interesting scene. It's a descriptive scene. He says in verse number 3, he says, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. So let's stand with David, if you would, there in Jerusalem upon one of the hilltops as we look northward. And over the Mediterranean Sea, we can see this storm that is brewing the clouds are beginning to roll, and you see the, the thunder striking, and, the, and, and or the, the lightning striking, and you hear the, the rolling thunder from this storm. And then we watch as that storm sweeps off of the sea and over the land. In verse number 4, he says, The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Verse 5, The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. Lebanon, of course, in the north of Palestine. And, and so we're watching this storm. It's brewing, brewed on the sea, and it, it's, it's swept across, and now it, it has hit land, and, so, and it's, it's so fierce. It is so mighty. The Bible says it is breaking these cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon are all throughout Scripture, and they're always given to us as, a, as an, uh, an image, a picture of strength and stability and of might. And this is no average ordinary storm. No, this is a storm that is breaking the very cedars of Lebanon. 
Verse number six, he continues, he says, He maketh them also to skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian, like a young unicorn. This phrase, Syrian, is referring to Hermon in the, the region of Mount Hermon. So from Jerusalem, we're, we're looking northward, and, and we've watched this storm come off of the sea. It's in the north. It's in Lebanon. It is, it's in Mount Hermon. And, and what are the, what's happening in these places? He says, He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Have you ever been in a storm where the, the lightning is striking and the thunder is rolling and it seems as if the very ground itself is shaking with that noise? That's what David's talking about here. I was a young person working on a farm, a vegetable farm, and we'd go out in the morning for four or five hours from 8 o'clock till noon or 1 o'clock, and we'd pick vegetables in all these different kinds of fields, and then we'd bring them into the barn, and we'd pack them up in boxes and in crates and put them on trucks, and we'd send them down to downtown Pittsburgh to the open-air farmer's markets there. And I remember one morning, uh, nearly noon, and we're working out in a field, and uh, all of a sudden, the, the sky grew a little dark, and, and we figured it's going to rain, we better hurry up. And then, without any warning at all, I, I got this feeling of, of like there's electricity in the air. And the hair on my arms and on the back of my neck is standing up, and then, as soon as I, I get this thought of well, something feels a little bit weird in the atmosphere. A bolt of lightning struck directly behind us. Now, I would say to you it was about a foot or two. That's what it felt like. But I don't think it was quite that close. But you remember how when you were a young person, or, or perhaps I still do it today, but when you see the flash of lightning and then you count to see how long it is before you hear the thunder, right? And someone told me, someone told me if you can get to 7 Mississippi, it means it's a mile away. I don't know if that's true or not. Right? If you're a meteorologist, correct me afterwards. So we would, we would count, right? You'd see the flash, and you'd go, one Mississippi, and two Mississippi, and three. And <laughs> well, that's a half a mile away. It could have been eight counties away for all I know. Who, you know. But then there's the rare occasion where the flash and the boom come at the exact same time. This was one of those cases. And the very ground underneath me shook, and I thought, quickly, find cover, Right? Well, this is what David's talking about. He says, the voice of the Lord is, is in Lebanon and in Syrian, and they are, they're literally skipping. The ground is, is skipping like a calf. And then in verse number 7, he moves from the, the thunder and the roar of the storm to the lightning itself. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. And the scientists tell us, that a single bolt of lightning can reach as long as five miles. Think of this. A single bolt of lightning can reach in a second, in an instant, can reach 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Think about the power in a bolt of lightning. And think about the power of this storm. He continues in verse number 8. He says, The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. Now wait. Where is Kadesh? So Lebanon and, and Syria and Mount Hermon, they're in the north. Kadesh is in the south. Kadesh is, is, is uh, south of the Dead Sea, and so this is no average ordinary storm. No, it sweeps the entire coastline of the Mediterranean there from one end of the kingdom to the other. And David is watching this storm as it moves off of Mount Hermon and rolls south down that Jordan Valley and into the wilderness in the south. This is a large storm. Verse number 9, the voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve, 
This is such a severe storm, it's affecting the animals. And discovereth, in verse number 9, discovereth the forest. That word discover means to, means to unveil or to reveal. We just recently had a, a storm in our area, a large windstorm, and many trees were toppled over. And perhaps you're driven by a wooded area after a tornado or a large storm goes through. Uh, through and many of the leaves are removed from the trees and branches have fallen and what once was a a full and flourishing forest now it's like you can almost see right through it because all the leaves have been taken down and that's what David's talking about he discovers with this storm he discovers the forest he ravages it now the trees are left bare and then something very interesting happens in verse number nine a great transition takes place in the end of verse number 9, he says, And in his temple doth every one speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. Get, get the picture here. David is describing for us this wonderful, powerful storm that's taking place down here on earth. It, it forms over the Mediterranean Sea. It sweeps across the land. Mighty cedar trees are being snapped. The, this thunderstorm is rolling down the coast into the desert area. And he says, and that's what it looks like below the clouds. But what about above the clouds? What does it look like up there? In verse number 9 again, he says, In his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. It's calm in heaven. Oh, there's thunder and there's lightning and there's storms and there's wind. But up where he is seated as king upon his throne, they're just giving him glory for it. Go back to verse number 1 and verse number 2, if you would, please. With that scene, David says this, Give unto the Lord, O you mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. God told the prophet Isaiah, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give unto another. You see, it's very interesting to me. David was, David was, was well-versed with nature. Think about what he does for a living, right? As a young man, he's a shepherd. And so David lives in the outdoors. David, David knows every season. And he, he knows everything there is to know, uh, as it were, about, about nature. And David has experienced many things in nature. Think about all the nights that David slept under the stars. Think about every storm that David got caught in. David could have painted a completely different scene for you and I. David could have said, I want you to imagine a, a peaceful late summer day with a breeze blowing and the clouds billowing in the sky and birds flying through the air chirping. And, and in that scene, I want you to give God glory. David could have painted a picture for us of a snowy morning when, when you wake up and the entire landscape is painted with pure white snow and it's, it's so serene and it is so peaceful. And then in that scene, he could have said, wow, look at how beautiful this is. Give God glory. He could have said, listen to the rains of a spring morning as the rain softly falls with the pitter-patter and in that peace and in that quiet, give him glory. But that is not the scene that he paints. He says, in the storm, in the difficult time, in the, in the time when you don't know what's going on. You know, we're, as a nation, we're in a, we're in a stormy season. 
Just as David refers to this storm that moves in and it violently affects the, the landscape. Think about, think about the, the wind that it takes to move these mighty cedar trees. These trees that they think are a, a, a picture of stability and, and of strength and, and they're unmovable. And yet the storm is moving them. I think about the things in our nation that I never imagined would be moved. The very structure of our republic is at stake. It's being changed. Freedoms that we once had, we no longer have. Things that we thought they'll be around forever, they won't be around forever. I said in the earlier service, I was speaking to some young people this past week, and we were talking about all of these things that are taking place in our country and in our world, and a number of the, of the students said basically the same thing. They said, you know, we read about this stuff in the book of Revelation, in the book of Daniel, all these prophetical things with one world government and, and all of this, and we, we know it's going to come someday, but we never imagined it'd be our day when all of these things are coming together and you know what? There's a storm. Not only that, but there are great storms of health needs. There are great storms of financial needs. There are, are relationship storms. And there are times in life, listen very carefully, there are times in life when the things that we believe are unmovable, they're unshakable, they're, they're steadfast. I'll always have these things. And then that storm shows up, and that storm says, I'm a little bit stronger than that. So here's the question. In the storm, what do you do? And David gives us the answer. Give unto the Lord the glory that is due unto his name. What do I do in the storm? I give God glory. There are three things very quickly I'd like to see this morning. We're going to work our way through this phrase in verse number two. And the very first thing that we come to is the word give. Now, he, he says it in verse number one, give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. And then he repeats it in verse number two. He says, give unto the Lord. So twice we're commanded to give. Now, in verse number one, he says, give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Now, this is a reference to angels, angelic hosts. David says, just like the angels are giving God glory, this is the way that, that we are to give God glory. Hold your place here in Psalm 29 and turn very quickly to the book of Revelation, chapter number 4. John, of course, is taken up into heaven and he is given a vision of spectacular things. He's literally standing in, in heaven. And in verse number 4, and or excuse me, chapter number 4 and verse number 10 John says, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. If we continue our reading in chapter 5, towards the end of the chapter, John says that he saw 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And what are they doing? They're lifting their voices in praise and they're giving glory to God. And David says that is happening right now in the presence of God. And that is how you and I are to give him glory. You see, the angels, don't, the angels don't wake up on a Monday morning and they say, I'll tell you what, I'm, just, I'm having a bad day today and nothing's going right, so I'm just not going to give God glory in my life today. 
The angels don't say, well, look, it's Friday night or it's Saturday night, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to get involved in this activity. I know it doesn't bring glory to, to the Creator. I know it doesn't do that, but look, I, I, I take a break. On Sunday morning, I'll walk into church, I'll give them all the glory in the world. That's not how it works for the angels. Every moment of their existence, in His presence, they are continually in a state of giving God glory. And David says, give Him glory, O ye mighty. Oh, and by the way, for the rest of us, there's your example. That's how you do it. So he says, give unto the Lord. By the way, can I say this to you? That giving glory does not happen by accident. It doesn't just happen. I don't stumble into giving God glory. I don't wake up one morning and, and say to Heidi, hey, I discovered something. It's really peculiar. I have been glorifying God with my life all week, and I don't even know how it happened. It's just, as I look, as I look back across the week, it's just evident. Hey, let me tell you something. That's true in the life of an individual. That's also true in the life of every church. The Tabernacle Baptist Church is not going to be a church that glorifies God on accident. It will be on purpose. It will be intentional. It will be because we have set certain things aside and we have made this our particular goal. And he says, give unto the Lord is an act of giving. Now, we use phrases sometimes that, that are pretty indescript and, and, and pretty opaque. And so, so what we need to do is we need to, we need to put some meat on the bone. So when we say that we're to give the Lord glory, what does that look like? Well, David makes it very clear for us. Look at verse number two. He says, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. And then he clarifies what he means in this next phrase. He says, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's a unique phrase, the beauty of holiness. It's given to us four times in Scripture. Every time it is used, it is given by David. And every time it is given, it is speaking of the same thing. So hold your place here and go back with me to Exodus chapter number 28. God is speaking to Moses and he's giving him instruction for all kinds of things. The tabernacle and the high priest and all these things. Exodus chapter 28, look at verse number 1. God says, And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. So God gives, gives them instruction, and he says, these, these things that you make are to be made with glory and with beauty. And years later, David is going to come along, and he's going to use this phrase, the beauty of holiness. And every time he uses it, it is referring to the high priest, the high priest's garments, and the duties of the high priest. And he says, this is, the, this is the beauty of holiness. And then he says, this is how you and I are to give God glory. In the same way that they did it, this is our pattern. So how did they do it? Well, if you go back to, to chapter 28 of Exodus, and, and we've, for sake of time, of course, we won't do this, but if you read through the entire chapter, what you would find is that God gives in great specificity down to the, the most minute detail, he gives them instructions on everything. The whole book of Exodus and, and even through Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and the second giving of the law, you find, you find that God does not do this. Here's what he doesn't do. You ready? He doesn't say, Aaron, I, I need you and your descendants to be priests. 
I want you to be those that, that are a go-between between the people and me. And Aaron, however you want to fulfill that office, however you want to do that, that's fine by me. I don't really care about the minutia of it. I don't care about the specific details. Just however you see fit, Aaron. No. As a matter of fact, it is quite the opposite. With the tabernacle in the wilderness, he says the latchets are to be made of this, and, and the dimensions are to be of this, and, and this particular thing, it's got to be this kind of wood overlaid with this kind of a metal, and here are the specific dimensions of it, and one day a year you do this, and another day of the year you do this, and this is how you do it, and that's how you do it. it, it look, it's, it's almost like, who can keep it all straight? What's the idea? If you and I are going to give glory to God in our lives as the high priest did in the beauty of holiness, there are three things that we must have. First of all is submission. It's, it's not just, look, Lord, I think I'm going to do it my way. I think, I'm just going to, I think I'm just going to handle this however I want to handle it. And I don't, by the way, think about people in Scripture who did things out of order with God. I remember one guy who... who with a good heart, reached over and touched the Ark of the Covenant to study it. And what God say? Nope, I don't do it that way. And he killed him. Think about certain times when, when leaders took upon themselves, kings took upon themselves the office of the high priest and they offered sacrifice to God and God said, no, it don't work that way. Here's the, here's the truth. If your life and if my life are truly going to be lives that give God to glory, then there must be a surrender. There must be something within us that says, God, it is not my will, it is your will. You're in charge, not me. There's a second thing. Not only must there be submission, but there must be a sacrifice. Uh, go back, if you would, in Exodus chapter 29, just a page from where we are. Verse number 10. And thou shalt cause a bullock to be brought before the tabernacle of the congregation, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands upon the head of the bullock, and thou shalt kill the bullock before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. The second thing that must be evident in my life and in your life, if we're going to glorify God, not only must there be submission, but there must be a sacrifice. Now, listen, I, know, I understand how this all works, and, and perhaps you're thinking in your mind, but wait, the sacrifice, that's Old Testament, that's Levitical law, that, that's Moses, and now Christ has, has once suffered in the end of the earth. He's suffered for us all, and so there's no more sacrifice to be made, and I would say that's absolutely correct. When it comes to salvation, the work of salvation is done forever. By his own blood, Hebrews said that, that the, the blood of bulls and of goats and the sprinkling of an heifer, the ashes of an heifer, if all of that could sanctify, think how much more the blood of Christ. And I say hallelujah and praise God, I'll never work for salvation. It's a free gift. But there's still a death to die. There's still a death to die. Paul said, I die daily. Let me tell you something. If I am going to fulfill the duty of my life to give God glory, then I must die. What, do you, what am I going to die to? Every self-ambition and self-will and self-promotion and anything that comes across the, the, the page that, that, yeah, I want that and I want that, it all has to die. And I say, in giving God glory, Lord, you, you fill the page out. I die to all of it and I live to you. This is true of the high priest. This is true of the beauty of holiness. It must be true of, of our lives. There's a third thing very quickly, not only submission and, and a sacrifice, but, but let's consider just for a moment the purpose of the, whole, of the high priest's office. 
the, the purpose of the nation of Israel. Why does God call this tiny little nation singularly blessed of God? Why does he, call, why does he speak to a pagan man named Abram and Ur of the Chaldees and call him out of there? He says, Abram, because in your seed and in your family, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Can I tell you that Israel was supposed to be a nation summoning every other nation to a knowledge of God? That is the whole point of the high priest. That's the point of all the sacrifices is to, to show them and to give them a picture of the Messiah that will one day come and he will be born of the seed of woman and he'll offer salvation to all of the world. Think of the wonderful illustrations that we have in Scripture of Gentile people, even in the Old Testament, Gentile people coming to faith in Christ. Think of Rahab. Think of Ruth. Think of the wonderful things that God does in the life of any person that will come to faith in him. Now listen, they had a job to do, and the job of the priest and the job of the nation of Israel was not just to keep God to themselves, it was to let every nation around them know he is God, and he is the Savior, and you are sinners, and you must come to him in a specific way, and it's true of my life, and it's true of yours. Listen, you and I cannot glorify God and not be witnesses. That's hard to say. That's convicting for me. But the truth is this. I cannot glorify God with my life and not be a witness to him. David said, here's how you do it. You do it just like they did it in the beauty of holiness. Just like the high priest did. And I mentioned to you that the Christian life is not lived in a vacuum I mean by that, sometimes we get the idea that, that you know, Lord, I'll, I'll do this and, and I'll do that. I'll share my testimony. I'll, I'll glorify you. But, Lord, you don't understand about all of these outside influences that are coming at me right now. So for the moment, I, I can't do that. I can't accomplish your will. I can't do what you've told me to do. And when, when everything's okay, when, when everything is, is sterile and, and I'm in a vacuum, I'll accomplish those things. That's never going to happen. Look, remember, where, does, where is David speaking to us? in a storm. At every moment of my life, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what I'm personally going through, I have a responsibility to give God glory by submitting to him, by living a sacrificial life, and by telling others about him. Look, give on purpose. Give unto the Lord. Let's continue our progression through this phrase. The first word is the word give, but then he says this, Give unto the Lord the glory that is due. Would you mark that word due? The glory that I'm to give to God is not an option. The glory that I'm to give to God is something that he doesn't say, well, if you can pay it, pay it. If you can't pay it, don't pay it. I understand. No, he says it's due. Every month I get an email. I'm sure you probably get the same form of an email. Every month, the same day. They're very punctual comes from a banking institution. And they say something like this. Hey, you remember all that money that we gave you by that house? Still our money. We want some of it back. Now, here's the option that I don't have. And I would assume that you don't have the option either. If you do, we need to talk afterwards. But the option that I do not have is, listen, bank, I appreciate you. I love all that you're doing. 
here's how I feel. I feel like your money is now my money. I don't feel like I owe you anything. It doesn't work that way. Did I say something? God does not say, look, if you feel like you owe me glory, go ahead and give it to me. If you don't feel like it, it's okay. David says very specifically, give it to him because you owe it to him. It's due. And the question then is, okay, so why is it due unto him? There are thousands of reasons why it's due unto him. Let me give you three of them very quickly. Number one, because of who he is. Imagine a being so powerful, so majestic, that out of the word of his mouth, he stands upon nothing and he speaks everything into existence. Imagine one so powerful that he controls this mighty thunderstorm. Imagine the one who out of a tiny little seed grows this strong symbol of strength, this cedar of Lebanon, and then sends a storm so powerful that he topples them over. William Beebe, let me read this for you. William Beebe was a scientist, a biologist, a, and an explorer. He lived in the early 1900s. He was close personal friends with President Theodore Roosevelt. He said that on occasion, him and the president would, would do the same thing, and it was an act of, of bringing them back to where they needed to be, an act of humbling them. Here's what he writes. After an evening of talk, we would go out on the lawn and research the heavens until we found the faint spot of light mist in the constellation Pegasus, and one of us would recite, that is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of millions, hundreds of millions of galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our sun. After a moment, Colonel Roosevelt would grin at me and say, now I think we're small enough. Let's go to bed. The heavens declare the glory. Look at all that there. Hey, you say, why, do, why, does, he, why does he deserve my glory? Why, why do I owe him glory? Very simply because of who he is. You're breathing his air this morning. Your heart is beating because he allows it. He lends us life. Because of who he is, it's due to him. Not only that, because of who he is, but also, secondly, because of what he has done. Don't turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, Paul says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Not only because of who he is, but because of what he has done for us. Think about what he has done for you. Look, set aside the fact that he has allowed you to be born in the most prosperous nation this world's ever known. Forget all of the outside comfort amenities that he has provided to you. Go to a garden. See him kneeling. Drops of blood through his pores and anguish. And he chooses you. And ask yourself the question, why does he deserve my glory? Watch him walk up the hill. They put him on the cross. They drive nails into his hands and his feet. And ask the question, why does that one deserve my glory? Watch as he takes the sin of all mankind 
He cries out to the father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then dare to ask the question, why does he deserve my glory? See the risen Christ coming for his bride in the clouds of glory and ask the question, why does he deserve my glory? Because of who he is and because of what he's done. There's a third reason. It's because of who you are. Back up just a little bit. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 has this to say, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, And such were some of you. But you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know why he deserves glory? Because of who I am. Let me tell you who I used to be. Let me tell you who I am today. Look, I was a child of the devil. I don't even like to think about that, to be quite honest with you. I was a child of the devil. I belonged to him. I was in, I was in the kingdom of darkness, and he has translated me into the kingdom of his dear son. I'm a joint heir with Christ Jesus. I'm on my way to heaven. I don't ever have to fear death and hell. Look, because of what he has made me. Amen. In the book of Revelation, John says this. He's made you be kings and priests before your God. I have access. Speaking of the Old Testament, I have access to the very throne room of God through the person of Jesus Christ. Because of everything that he has given me, because of who he is and because of who I am, he says this. You owe him glory. It's due. It's a bill that must be paid. There's a third thing. Not only the glory that is given, but he says in the end of that phrase, give unto the Lord the glory that is due unto his name. The names of God reveal to us the very character of who God is. It's interesting to me that in these 11 verses, if we would take time, time to count them, you find the name Jehovah, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah, 18 times in 11 verses. David is trying to say something to us here. David is trying to, to, to draw out an answer in our minds. He says, look, you've got to give God glory, but then he says you need to give glory to his Name. As I look at the names of God, as I look at who Jehovah truly is, what does it do? It draws out the glory from my lips and I give it to him. There are a number of, of combinations of the name of Jehovah in Scripture. Abraham and Isaac are walking up Mount Moriah. And Isaac turns to his father and he says, Hey, Dad, I'm a little concerned here. I see the fire and I see the wood, but I don't see a sacrifice. Where's the lamb? And Abraham says to his son, God will provide himself a lamb. He raises the knife to take his son, the, the life of his son, and the angel stops him, and, and God does provide a ram over in the thicket caught by the horns, and Abraham sacrifices there, and then he says of this place, this is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide for us. The children of Israel coming out of Egypt, and they run into the Amalekites, and they're they're warring against them. And as long as Moses' hands are raised to heavens, they win. And, and when his hands go down, they're losing. And so Aaron and Hur go up and they prop up Moses' hands. And God gives them the victory. And at the end, Moses says, I'm going to call this place Jehovah Nisi because the Lord Jehovah is our banner. Gideon 
One of the most interesting figures in the scripture to me is Gideon. He's hiding in a wine press at night in fear of the Moabites. And an angel of the Lord, a Christophany, Jesus appears to Gideon and he says, Hail thou mighty man of valor. I want you to know there's hope for all of us. Amen. And he says, Gideon, I'm going to use you to lead an army, and I'm going to defeat the Moabites, and I'm going to bring peace back to Israel, and, and everything's going to be fine. And Gideon takes the uh, time, and he builds an altar in that place, and he says, he is Jehovah Shalom. He is Jehovah my peace. To the prophet Jeremiah, God makes this promise. I will be to you, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. And look here, nothing was going right in Jeremiah's day. Nothing. God told him what the end result was going to be, but he said, look, here's a promise that I'm going to give you. In the middle of the storm, Jeremiah, I'm going to give you a promise. By the way, I want you to know that every time that the, one of these names for God is used, it is born out of a stormy time. He says to Ezekiel, I will be Jehovah Shammah. I will be Jehovah who is always present with you. He gives Ezekiel this wonderful vision of the new Jerusalem. And he says, hey, Ezekiel, you know what the best part of the new Jerusalem is going to be? And Ezekiel says, well, Lord, I mean, you've given me dimensions of it. You've given me this, all of this. I can't imagine anything more wonderful than what you've already told me. And God says, the most wonderful part is this. I will be there. Amen. The presence of God. Over 285 times in the Bible, we're given the name of Jehovah as Jehovah Sabaoth. He is the Lord of hosts. He is our protector. He is the God of angel armies. And then David says, He is Jehovah Ra. The Lord is my shepherd. Here's the truth. That in the storm, he provides. In the storm, he shows us his might. In the storm, he provides peace. In the storm, he gives us promises. In the storm, he is present with us. In the storm, he protects us. And so David says, look, I know that the storms of life are raging. I know sometimes things feel like they're completely out of control. I know that sometimes the very bedrock things of your life, the very cedars of Lebanon are snapping off. And you're looking around going, what in the world do I do in this moment? And church, I'm here to tell you that a According to the word of God, the thing that we do in the storm is this. Glorify his name. That's my responsibility. It's yours. So what are we going to do today? Look at the storm. Stare at the storm and say, well, look, you don't understand, God. I've got all of these pre-existing things, and I've got all these things that are distracting me. Read the words of David. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord the glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's before the storm. Then the storm hits. What about after the storm? Go to verse number 11. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Who does the Lord give strength to? Who does the Lord bless with peace? To those that give him glory. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. 
That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.